The Trudeau government has announced that by 2035, every major passenger vehicle sold in Canada will need to be electric. But breaking news courtesy of True North, the Alberta government has come out swinging, saying that they may use the Sovereignty Act for the first time to oppose this mandate. A firearms group is pointing out that after denying his government's latest firearms ban would affect hunters, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has conceded that it actually does. Despite Justin Trudeau's assertion that he was never briefed about the Chinese government interfering in Canada's electoral system, it's been revealed that an unredacted Privy Council Office document warned the government about Chinese operations in Canada back in February 2020. Hello Canada, it's Thursday, December 22nd, and this is the last episode of the True North Daily Brief for 2022. I'm Anthony Fury. And I'm Jasmine Moulton. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. On Wednesday, Liberal Environment Minister Stephen Guilbeault unveiled the government's zero emissions vehicle sales target. But one province is already lining up to challenge it. The legislation will require car manufacturers and importers to meet annual sale targets beginning with the 2026 model year. 20% of vehicle sales must be electric for that year. By 2030, that target will grow to 60% of all sales, rising to all 100% in 2035. Guobo claimed that with zero emission vehicles, Canada can cut pollution, create jobs, and make life more affordable for families across the country. Although critics have argued that the production of electric vehicles is very emissions intensive, including the process of extracting minerals like nickel, cobalt, and lithium to create lithium-ion batteries. The federal government has also largely failed to meet its own standards, with records showing that less than 5% of federal fleet vehicles purchased in the last year were electric-powered. And as first reported by True North, the Alberta government plans to challenge this legislation. Alberta Premier Daniel Smith's office says the mandate is a clear violation of Alberta's right to freely regulate its economy and they may use the Sovereignty Act for the first time. The Premier's office said in a statement to True North, our cabinet and caucus will discuss this issue and what tools we will consider using to push back on this absurd federal policy, including potential use of the Alberta sovereignty within a United Canada Act. The Premier's office also said the announcement is, quote, exceptionally tone deaf as Albertans and Canadians struggle with inflation. Jasmine, a lot to unpack here. I know electric vehicles are all the rage right now, but I find the basic notion of the federal government telling a private company, telling a place that's selling a product, how much of a product they must legally sell to be kind of mind-boggling. That's normally not something you do in a free market society. That's exactly right, Anthony. A lot of criticism has been lodged against opponents of this government calling them socialists, but this is quite a big step dictating to Canadians what they have to buy when currently the market doesn't seem to bear out what they're saying. As it stands currently, fully electric or hybrid vehicle sales made up only 7.2% of new car registrations in Canada. So clearly this is not something that Canadians want as it currently stands. One of the things that's so interesting about going aggressively with these targets, Jasmine, is that this is all coming at a time when there's more and more conversation about the practicalities of this, particularly when it comes to the idea that getting the various 
products and materials required to build electric vehicles is itself very emissions intensive, and also concerns that if you actually did suddenly get way more electric vehicles out there, it could overwhelm the grid. And we actually know of examples around the world where there are some countries nervous about electric vehicles uh, putting electricity demand on their grid, and they almost want to hold back on all of that. So I, I feel like 2023 could be the year where we actually step back a bit from this EV push. Well, it's interesting that you say that, Anthony, because if there's anyone who stands to benefit from a shift toward electric vehicles, it would be owner of Tesla, Elon Musk. And he himself said in August of this year that the world still needs to use oil and gas or, quote, civilization will crumble. So if this is the owner of a large electric vehicle manufacturing company, it's odd that he is being so honest when our governments seem to have missed the memo. But as you aptly point out, there are a lot of disadvantages still associated with this new and emerging industry of electric vehicles. Some of those include finding charging stations. Canada is not a small country, as our listeners know, and it will be difficult to get those up. Charging times remain an issue. And of course, the biggest elephant in the room is the higher initial costs. Canadians are struggling financially right now. That's no secret with inflation and a looming recession on the way for next year. Electric vehicles are more expensive than other options on the market. So it's unclear how the government thinks Canadians are going to be able to scrape together the money to afford them. And I think all of those arguments are coming together. And why Alberta Premier Daniel Smith says we got to challenge this. This is a violation of Alberta's sovereignty. And I think when it comes to the federal government nitpicking what you can and can't sell at, at your store, at your uh, at your automobile sales center, I mean, she has a point. It seems like a violation of all sorts of commercial rights. Well, we know, Anthony, that there are many provinces in this country that have large agricultural sectors, and there's large farming equipment as well that needs to emit greenhouse gas. So it's really unclear what the government wants with this utopian vision, and it will be interesting to watch how Alberta and potentially other provinces react. The Canadian Coalition for Firearm Rights says the government's controversial gun grab scheme, Bill C-21, is a hunting ban after Prime Minister Justin Trudeau revealed that the bill will result in some firearms being, quote, taken away from people who were using them to hunt. CCFR spokesperson Tracy Wilson told True North that the Prime Minister's admission comes after the Liberals denied that Bill C-21 targeted hunters throughout the legislative process. Wilson said, quote, they called it gun lobby disinformation or conservative fear mongering, yet here they are admitting we were right the whole time. It's a hunting gun ban, the largest in Canadian history. In a year-end interview with CTV, Trudeau made it clear that the government will, in fact, go after some firearms used for hunting. Bill C-21 started as a ban on handguns, but recent amendments have expanded the list of firearms that the government plans on restricting to include long guns. The proposed amendment would seek to ban nearly all semi-automatic rifles and shotguns in Canada. Anthony, does the CCFR have a point here? We've heard the government claim that, quote, misinformation and disinformation has been going on for months. But now the Prime Minister even admits that Bill C-21 is going after some guns used for hunting. Oh, yeah, I don't use those misinformation, disinformation terms, because most people who do use them use them disingenuously. This is a clear example of that. What's going on here? What's the play? Why is the Liberal government so insistent on going aggressively after law-abiding gun owners, whereas they're doing very little to actually tackle 
uh, genuine gun crime, which we know, as, as everybody knows by now, it's not a conservative talking point, it's not a gun lobby talking point. Uh, urban police chiefs are saying this, I think just regular urban left-wing voters know this as well, the guns involved in all the heinous crimes are coming across the border already illegal. So I think people are probably going to lose patience with a lot of the liberal hijinks over this legislation. What are they even trying to do here? It's not clear. But do we see that there's a lot of momentum on the opponents of the government's bill? Because it seems like they've pushed and pushed. And now the government is finally admitted that, yeah, we are going after some hunting guns. And it just seems like there's a lot of momentum building here. Is this a good sign? Can we see any sort of uh, shift on the government side with regards to this legislation? Well, I don't know if they're going to shift because they're just perhaps playing so aggressively to their base, to people who are more interested in a culture war attitude, say, uh, just attacking people in Alberta just for the fun of it or what have you, uh, than they are about bringing intelligent public policy to deal uh, with actual gun crime. And I think you find that a lot of reasonable urbanites, definitely a lot of suburban individuals uh, who are more liberal swing voters would say, well, hold on a second. We're not out to punish a, a First Nations hunter in a rural community. We actually want to tackle these issues. So I, I do think people are drifting away from support for this. It's just whether or not the liberals uh, care about that at this point, or whether it's just about solidifying their angry base. It will be interesting to see how this issue plays out in the coming months. Now over to you, Anthony, with the story of election interference from the Chinese government. Back in November, Justin Trudeau claimed that he was never briefed on the fact that 11 candidates were suspected of benefiting from Chinese government interference during the 2019 election. However, an unredacted 2020 Privy Council document obtained by Global News reveals that the government was aware that the Chinese Communist Party had plans to advance its own political agenda in that election. The document outlines how Beijing had an extensive network of community groups to conceal the flow of funds between Chinese officials and Canadian members of an election interference network. The Privy Council Office regularly briefs the Prime Minister's Office and appropriate cabinet ministers on national security intelligence, meaning it was very likely the Prime Minister was aware of this document. Emergency Preparedness Minister Bill Blair, who was Public Safety Minister at the time, acknowledged to Global News that he received, quote, certain information from the 2020 memo last week, but declined to elaborate. Jasmine, looks like we're in a similar situation where we're at with LabScan, the SNC-Lavalin story, where Justin Trudeau is maybe going to split hairs and work on the definition of this word or that word to try and skate around this. But the bottom line is his government knew, and he tried to say he didn't know. Anthony, it's truly shocking as the details of this story have unfolded. And while it does sound like just typical banter back in the House of Commons, in question period, the government denying something that the opposition's asking. The allegations here are truly shocking. As you pointed out, this was a CSIS report that said at least 11 candidates received Chinese cash in the last election. Uh, that cash totaled 250000 in funding approximately. So this is no small issue. And I don't know that the government's going to be able to just talk their way out of it. No, certainly. And the question becomes how this fits into Justin Trudeau's pivot away from China and how a number of cabinet ministers are uh, very clear on the need to decouple from China. They want to be seen to be getting tougher. And this briefing would have happened prior to them having that wake up moment, that revelation. So how does Trudeau sort of square that circle now? Because this is a problem. Uh, we hear increasingly from Canadians and, and persons who follow Parliament Hill that they are concerned how at least one senator appointed to the Senate by Justin Trudeau 
says things that regularly overlap with Chinese Communist Party propaganda. Lots of questions about the degree to which that's happening uh, in our democracy. And of course, these candidates, these 11 candidates play into this. And I think the bottom line of who were these candidates? Name names. They are in this document and we have a right to know. Those questions, Jasmine, will only recur in 2023 as they should. Absolutely. And as you say, it's one thing for the government to say, okay, we're pivoting with our stance on China, but they certainly have a lot of explaining to do about some of their actions in the past. So as we saw back in 2019, for example, there was former Liberal MP and ambassador to China, John McCallum, actually told Chinese media that a conservative election victory would be a disadvantage to Chinese interests. So this government has a long history of some very awkward encounters and statements that it's made with regards to China, and they certainly have some explaining to do. That's it for today and for the new year. We'll be back with more Daily Brief starting January 3rd. Don't forget to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the holidays for all the news you need to know. And if you're able, please consider supporting independent media at donate.tnc.news. Thanks for listening and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year.